0: we continue our sermon series we'll get through this and we started this about three or four weeks ago and you know I uh, one of the key I actually about two or three weeks ago I, I gave you three words the three p's and talked a little bit about prayer how we're going to get through this well I believe in prayer can I get amen on that I hope that you too too we'll continue to pray um, perseverance in other words sometimes we just have to Persevere, we, You know, it's this will and determination that um, we pull together. And um, so I think that's an important word. And, and the presence of God. Matter of fact, that's a theme that we find over and over again in the story about Joseph and the coat of many colors. Is that... Um, um, we hear these words, this repetition. If it's said once, it's said twice, it's said three or four times, then, you know, that's the way in which the writers of the documents that we find or the writing of the word um, that we find in the scripture is trying to get our attention. So once again, um, we find that and the presence of God was with Joseph. And the presence of God was with Joseph. The presence of God was with Joseph. Over and over again. So, so those are the three key words we talked about. Prayer and perseverance and the presence of God. And I believe that we can get through this, um, whatever year this is. And then we talked about last week, we talked a little bit about um, testing. I mean, we've all been tested. Matter of fact, I, mean, I said that you know, we get pop quizzes every day, right, you know, just go to Walmart, I can get tell you, right? Okay, go to Publix, get pop quizzes. And um, and so I really believe that there are about maybe three or four times in your life that you're truly going to be tested. And that's what we find in the story of Joseph. He continues to be tested over and over again. And we, and we talked a little bit about waiting. Of course, it took about 13 years before we get to this part of the story today. And he finally stands before Pharaoh. And then we also talked about disappointing because... Um, you know, um, in this story, he finally answers, well, the, the cupbearer, um, a.k.a. the butler, um, is there, and he does him a favor, and he ter- Joseph interprets his, interprets his dream for him, and, and he says, please don't forget me. Get me out of here, he says. Get me out of here. And he forgot. And so, um, this is where we pick up the story today, is that, um, well, he finally remembered again after two years. And so let me just read a little part of the story that we find in this great story. this epic story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. And so we pick up the story today is that finally um, uh, uh, he stands before Pharaoh after all that Joseph's gone through. He goes through the pit and being dragged down to Egypt. He's um, um, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He ends up in jail and he's just there and just waiting for something, someone to give him a break. And so he finally, um, we get this part of the story where, uh, well, that Pharaoh has had these dreams and nobody can interpret it for him. And so um, here comes Joseph in the story. So here's them from the 41st chapter of Genesis. Let me just read a little bit. So then Joseph said to Pharaoh, "Uh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years, and the dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them, and, and the seven are seven years, and are the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind, they too are seven years of famine. It is as I told you, Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And after them, there will be a rise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will, be, will con- completely consume the land. The plenty will no longer be known in the land because of the famine that will follow it. For it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a man who is discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and for food of the cities and let them keep it. And that food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of the famine that are to befall the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. And the proposal was pleasing to Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone else like this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is no one so discerning as wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. What a great story. So, um, Lakato talks about this um, little contraption, this little toy in his, in his uh, book and I thought it was just brilliant. I never, had, I never would have thought of this but I thought it was really clever something we give him credit. And he talks about, well here's a picture of one I had one when I was a kid. It's called a bounce back bozo. Remember one of those? I mean maybe you bought one of your kids one of those. Of fact, I remember my mom and dad gave me one for Easter one year and I was so thrilled about that. And man let me tell you something you could pound that thing and pound that thing and pound that thing and it would always keep bouncing back. And so he compares Joseph in a very clever way in this particular chapter of his book about he's like a bounce back bozo. He just continues to get knocked down and he keeps coming bouncing back. He continues to get knocked down. He keeps coming bouncing back. He continues to get knocked down and he keeps bouncing back. And he thought, man, that's just a great analogy not only for Joseph, but it also can be a great analogy for us in life. And then he wrote this little quote, and I thought this is actually very clever, and I'll come back to this in just a minute, but he said this, "There is something about him, or within him, that kept him on his feet." And so I started thinking about, well, listen, uh, here we are in the middle of, you know, in the midst of COVID, and we as Americans, we have come bouncing back. There are still places in America that still some hot spots, and so we continue to be very sensitive to that. But as a whole, because of the vaccine, um, we have. We are, we continue to persevere. We are bouncing back. And then, you know, think about once again in life, all the times in which you've been bounced down. And um, for example, maybe you've lost someone that you was near and dear to your heart. So one of the reasons why we have Greece here is to help people bounce back. Maybe you lost your job and you got a pink slip one day and somehow you persevered and you came bouncing back. In in about two or three weeks, we're going to have a bunch of uh, high school seniors here. I'm going to be doing the baccalaureate service. We host that here and there'll be about 150 kids here and they'll have their parents here and we'll have a beautiful time. But I guarantee you there's going to be some kids here who have actually applied for a college and they didn't get accepted at that particular college. So they're going to end up going somewhere else and they have to ask themselves, am I going to bounce back? Some of you all may have bounced back even from a divorce. I was going through some um, email or actually some um, uh, YouTubes this last week and I, I thought about divorce and I thought about this one of my, I love this song, Kenny Rogers. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Four hungry children and a crop in the field. Been through some bad times, lived through some sad times, but this time your hurting won't heal. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Does anybody remember that? Not bad. For Kenny Rogers, right? Okay, and so we even know what that feels like to go through a divorce. She picked a fine time to leave me. Let me see him. This last week, my friend Pat Smith, who was a part of her, she comes and sings from time time. Many of you all know Pat. She's just a, a beautiful person. She sent me an email. Actually, she sent me an email connected to this YouTube video. And so, you know, I don't, usually I, you all send me things, and I, I watch them, and so, but this one really caught my attention, and I thought, you know, this is actually applicable to my message this week about, once again, bouncing back. And the guy's name is Alvin Law, and if you ever heard of Alvin Law, I'd never heard of Alvin Law until Pat sent me this video this last week, and she thought it was pretty amazing. So let me share this little video of Alvin Law and his ability to be able to bounce back. It's about a minute and a half. Here, let's just watch Alvin.
1: Alvin Law isn't your average piano player. He was born 50 years ago with no arms due to the drug thalidomide. Now as a motivational speaker he inspires with his feet and with his words. My biggest issue as an adult is tolerating people that make excuses for their lives. You know, I think people love to complain and that's just that's that's what I tend to, to focus on in my seminars and that day the idea behind giving it this sort of this beach feel is I want people to to put stuff in perspective that yeah you know what your life may be challenging but here's what I think you could do to make it better so I spent almost three weeks in the hospital as an orphan and then uh, the laws came along and essentially they weren't planning to keep me this was definitely like a foster parent gig they were going to keep me until I was able to be permanently adopted but the fact of the matter was nobody came to the plate but they also, as my mom put it, I kind of grew on them. And I think the most amazing part of the story, if I can editorialize, is not that I overcame having no arms, that I overcame the sixties. People with disabilities were not seen like they are today. Doctors basically said to my parents, just look after them and keep them happy. My laws are not unlike habits. They are things that I believe ultimately change the circumstances of my reality. So the five laws, which I also was attempting to be clever with, spell my name. So they are A-L-V-I-N. And they are attitude, learning, valuing your life and spirit, imagination, and never giving up.
0: Now that guy bounced back. Isn't that an amazing story? And, and you know, here's, I love, and I wrote these, once again, I don't know if he, he said them quickly, but the, Alvin's Laws, Alvin, A-L-V-I-N. Attitude, learning, valuing your life and your spirit, imagination, and never giving up. Now, I watched a couple. A matter of fact, you can Google Alvin, and you know he's a motivational speaker. And um, and I, I watched one of the videos. It was not this particular one, but he did quote. The, let me said this, and I thought it was quotable. He says, "You know what? I thank God every day that He made me like this." Pretty amazing. Not only could he play the piano, not only could he play the drums, he also could play the trombone as well. That's really cool to watch him do that. Bouncing back. And so this story today that we have is, um, I I, I like Lucato's quote, he says, you know what, we refer to Joseph bouncing back. Uh, The guy was a walking pinata, the angry jealousy of his brothers that sold him into slavery, the the below the belt deceit by Potiphar's wife that landed him in prison, the butler's broken promises that kept him in prison. Joseph staggered but recovered. But God's strength, he pulled himself to his feet and stood stronger than ever in Pharaoh's court. Joseph bouncing back so finally we find this part of the story you know he's gone from a pit to the prison to finally he ends up well and before Pharaoh and you know I, I thought this is a kind of interesting you, wouldn't you have love to have been a fly on the wall that day I mean once again they hosed Joseph off they shaved his head they put a new robe on him put some shoes on him as I mentioned they gave him some old spice deodorant and cleaned him all up right stood before Pharaoh and, uh, and so, you know, what's interesting about Pharaoh, when, you know, Pharaoh's not happy. He's not a happy camper. And by the way, when Pharaoh ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And he's not happy because he's had these dreams and he didn't know how to interpret. No one under, and he's gone to his chief officials and they have no clue what these dreams are. Seven fat cows being devoured by five, seven lean cows, these stalks of grain being devoured, by the healthy ones being devoured by the withered ones. They have no clue what it's all about. And so there he finally stands before, Joseph stands before Pharaoh. And, and, and what's interesting about this part of the story, because Pharaoh is perplexed, he, you know, before Joseph gets there, you know, the, the butler or the AKA the, the white uh, um, cupbearer says, hey, you know what, I know a guy. His name is Joseph. I remember that guy. Now listen, here's an interesting thing. And once in perspective, uh, you know, um, the other day, my wife and I was like, last it was about two or three weeks ago. It was Friday night. And so I walk into our bathroom and I notice when, this is never a good sign. When you walk into your bathroom and your carpet around your toilet, all of a sudden it's squishy. You hear like the squish, squishy, squishy. And I thought, oh no, this is not good. Oh my gosh. So then I'm thinking, and I said, Donna. Well, we've got a problem." She says, what's wrong? And I said, well, you know, our carpets are all full of water. I don't know what's going on. She says, oh my gosh, we probably need a new toilet. It's probably got a crack in it or something like that. And I said, oh, this is not good. And of course, it's Friday, and then you have to call a plumber on, though. Good luck at Find a, a plumber, on the, plumber on the weekend. And so um, so we found, I found a guy, um, I know a guy, his name is Mike Scott, the plumber. And there are a lot of Mike Scotts running around here. He's got a whole fleet of Mike Scotts. He just keeps replicating himself. So we called Mike. my fact, we had gone, what's interesting is I went to one bathroom, and then later on. about a few minutes later, I went to my other bathroom and I had, once again, I walk in the, and the carpet's all squishy in there too. Oh, no, this is even getting worse, right? I have two toilets overflowing, overflowed. And here's the interesting thing. The toilets were not cracked. There was nothing wrong with the toilets. I'll tell you what was wrong. It's called a backed up septic tank that was stinking to high heaven. Oh, yes. So what's interesting about this as I was putting my thoughts together for our message today, is that we all have a dilemma. In this case, Job. Well, is dilemma. He he needs some. He needs a guy, someone to come and fix his problem. He has these dreams that no one can answer. And the reality of my life and your life, we all have a problem. And in, we call this. And once again, reminded us through the sacrament this morning. We have sin in our life, and we can't fix our problem. And we need Jesus Christ. I know a guy; his name is Jesus, that can fix our problem. That stink into the high heaven. And, and so what I think about that. I, I love this once again um, that what we find in Paul's teaching about you know we have a fundamental problem in life, and it is sin, and we need. Jesus Christ to help him fix it. And so Paul put it this way, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. and It is with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. In the book of Revelation, the guy, and John wrote these words. He says, behold, I see at the door knock. Behold, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him or her and eat with him or her and he with me. I know a guy. His name is Jesus. And you know what's interesting? I, I think about this, you know, um, um, Jesus comes along and he doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to fix all your problems when you get knocked down in life. Um, Listen, let me just be really careful, candid with you as your senior pastor. And you're never going to hear this from me. You know, you may watch it on, uh, watch TV, and you get maybe different versions of it. But you're not going to get a health and prosperity gospel for Harold Hendren. And the reason why you're never going to get a health and uh, wealth and prosperity gospel from Harold Hendren is I continue to be reminded that they did murder our Savior. His name is Jesus. I know a guy. And they nailed him to a cross. They crucified him. And we follow him. And he knows all about, he knows about pain. He knows about suffering. He knows about how difficult life can be. But Jesus is really candid. He doesn't say ever in the Bible that you're, once again, you're never going to have any problems. And I think it's interesting as I, I came back to this um, because I really believe that um, when you think about the vision that Jesus had for the world and solving the world's problems, uh, it is bigger than I, I, I go back to those words um, uh, when on Palm Sunday we just came through Lent, you know, a few weeks ago, and I I just I love those are very powerful words. And when the when Jesus came riding in on that donkey on Palm Sunday. And, and they, what did the children of Israel say? They said, Hosanna and the highest, which means Jesus, come and save us now. And so Jesus had to hear those words, but the reality, they're small potatoes. Because see, what the, what the children of Israel are saying, hey, listen, come and save us now from the Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire, they didn't realize they're small potatoes to Jesus Christ. Jesus was thinking so much, so much bigger than just the Roman Empire. Let me tell you something, the Roman Empire has come and gone, and here we are still today. And what's beautiful, what's very powerful about Jesus is he says, listen, you think about your own life and my life and your life together, here we are on earth. And I went back and looked up this this last week. I actually pulled the statistics. It's called the Vital Statistics of um, a Rapid Release. And um, I didn't realize this. But according to the statistics, we've got, well, here are the numbers, 77.8 years of life. That's the average here in America. 77.8, so listen, if you're 80, you're living the dream. I'm telling you that, that's good stuff, man. But according to the statistics, 77.8 years is what we get here on life. And what's very powerful is Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm gonna give you life. But Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm gonna give you something even better because once again, your life and, and the scheme of things, at least 77.8 years, it, it's great, you're gonna have this life, it's a gift from, from me, but it's small potatoes compared to eternal life. That's what Jesus wants to understand. So that's the re- when I think about how powerful Jesus' message for all of us today is he continues to say, listen, I, I've got a bigger plan that you could ever, ever imagine. So I was thinking about this, and once again, this go back to what the word says, because listen, Jesus says, listen, you're going to have troubles, but fear not, I have overcome the world. This is what John says, the Father is with me, I have told you all this, so that that trusting in me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. And then he goes on and says, in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. Do you hear that? You're going to have troubles, Jesus says. You're going to get knocked down. But then he says, but take heart, exclamation point. I have conquered the world. Don't miss the detail. This is Jesus talking. You're going to get knocked down. And the question is, are you going to get back up? And then you're going to get knocked down again. And listen, you're going to get, you have to get back up. Over and over again in life, this is, but Jesus is really clear. This is not a health and prosperity and wealth gospel. No, 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 no. Jesus says, here's the reality, folks. You are going to get knocked down in life. But then he says, behold, I have come and I have conquered the world And what's interesting about this from a theological standpoint is that John is talking about here, right here and now in life and how we continue to get knocked down and Jesus' presence and the peace that goes beyond all our is gonna continue to be with you and me. Even in the midst of the trials and tribulations that we experience in life and getting knocked down over and over and over again. And then I love what Paul's interpretation is. Look at Paul's theology on this about once again being knocked down and the truth that Jesus continues to bring to us and the good news of Jesus Christ in life even that we are gonna get knocked down. Paul says this, he says, and i call this the future hope. So we have the present hope that we find the gospel of John, but we also have the future hope that we find um, through uh, 1 Corinthians. And Paul says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God! Exclamation point. He gives us victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Can have amen on that? So we, we find in our theology and we find in the gospel of John and we also find in the good news that we find in the epistles of Paul that we have victory in Jesus Christ, not only in this life, but also Jesus says, in the next life, you're gonna get knocked down. That's the reality of life. But Jesus says, I have come to overcome the world. And let me tell you something. Joseph got knocked down over and over again. Now, let me just teach for a second. I, I went back and did my research this last week. And I, I found all this great stuff about this story. And so let me just share this. So here is, I mean, this, this story today is really, it really is serious business. Because see, what I love about this theme that we find in this story, once again, 3,500, fourth. 4,000 years old, we have this theme, and the theme has everything to do with, once again, the symbolism that someone is weak and powerless, and then God raises them out out of the ash heap to bring them strength, so we have this theme of weakness and then strength, we got the idea that he goes from prison to the palace, it's an amazing story, and then we have this theme of all these dreams that actually come full circle in the story that the weak end up rising up to strength. We have Pharaoh who's anxious in the story that there's sense. There's, a, there's this sense, I love this part. I never had thought about this, but there's a lot riding on this. And what I mean by that is Joseph's reputation's riding on this when he finally stands before Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, hey, let me have your dream. And so Pharaoh has to decide if he's going to believe this dude or not. I mean, after all, he was just in the prison. Just, he's an ex-con, right? I mean, he's brought him before him. And so what we find there is, and there's a lot, I mean, Joseph's reputation, but here, but once again, what do we find? We find that Joseph gives all the credit, right out of the bat, first words out of his mouth, he gives the credit to God who ultimately is behind interpreting the dream. So guess what? In this story, not only is Joseph's reputation online, but God's reputation is online in front of Pharaoh. So Joseph identifies this, once again, this is interesting, little twist of the story. He identifies this as a direct connection between God and Pharaoh. In other words, that ultimately God's um, uh, presence not only is not only with the chosen people, but all of a sudden God is really in the midst of Someone who's a foreigner who is in Egypt, and there's a connection there. Um, we also find that Joseph seems very humble; that he's genuinely concerned about the fate of the people and not just about himself. We 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 have these bold words that come from from Joseph. He, we sense he's a leader. He he gives God credit, as I mentioned. So he interprets his interpretation is coming from God, and God's spirit is in that guy named Joseph. And we need that guy. If if God's spirit is in that guy and he's telling us this is what we need. We need Joseph. We have this part of the story is that if you keep on reading uh, in this particular part of the story is that, that Pharaoh eventually gives him a singlet ring. He gives him a gold chain and he gives him a brand new royal robe. Guess what? Guess what happens? Joseph ends up losing his coat of many colors his brothers take it, dip it in blood, and go back and tell the old man that he's been eaten by a, a wild animal. But listen, all of a sudden, guess what? Here's the great symbolism. 13 years later, he gets a brand new robe, and it's the Armani version. It's the Gucci version. It is a high-priced Joseph robe, right? Once again, we have this whole story come in full circle and if you continue to read the rest of the part of the story is that not only is Pharaoh end up raising him up, he actually ends up having a wife. And so he intermarries inter- with a foreign person. So she's not, she's not a Hebrew, but she's an Egyptian. And he also is, give, Pharaoh gives Joseph a brand new name. And I have no clue how to pronounce it, but this is what it means. God speaks and lives. Do you get that? He's got a brand new name. Joseph has got a brand new name. God speaks and lives. And then his children even are given names. They have symbolism. Manasseh, which means ultimately means forgetfulness. Manasseh, his slavery has been forgotten by God. Joseph. And his other offspring is a guy whose son's name is Ephraim. And Joseph was prospered in the land where he has experienced great hardship. And his name means fruitfulness. So you've got one son whose name is, means forgetfulness. And the other son's name is, means fruitfulness. Now you know the details. So Joseph is not only, once again, he's, he's, he's not only saved in the, in the day of Egypt from all the other nations and all as well, because Egypt is, is the one who was holding all the grain because of Joseph and his ability to interpret the dreams. And and what, here's a beautiful thing. Eventually the story, guess what? As the story all unfolds is do you realize because of Joseph and his ability to interpret the dreams? The Egypt becomes the bread basket of the world because people came from all over the whole world to come to Egypt to be able to get the food because there was such a, well, a famine. And so we find over and over again, what's also part of the theme of the story is that Pharaoh, like many other kings, has power. But don't miss this detail. But God is more powerful. Can we amen on that? And then we have this last little part of this. Thing. I love this part of the story. Is that Joseph exhibits like this model person in this story. Um, Joseph is patient through numerous setbacks and sufferings. He's loyal to God. He honors human relationships during trying times and temptations. He's bold in his speech. He tells us of his courage, and integrity before Pharaoh. He acts wisely in dealing with people and their problems. And he represents a person who is intent on living for God. Wow. Joseph. So, Lucado gives this little quote in here. I thought it was pretty good. He says, you know, on the contrast, Pharaoh the king, uh, Joseph the ex-shepherd, Pharaoh the urban, Joseph very rural, Pharaoh from the palace, Joseph from the prison, Pharaoh was with his gold chains, Joseph wore bruises from shackles, Pharaoh had his armies and pyramids, Joseph had a borrowed robe and a foreign accent. So, Joseph comes and finally stands before Pharaoh. And he says, so, you got a dream. Pharaoh says, yeah, I've had this dream. And he lays it all out. And so, I love this part of the story. So, Joseph says, oh, whoa. Pharaoh, you're, you're in big trouble. Well, what do you mean I'm in big trouble? Oh, no, no, you. And, 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 the, and all the other, little, the other little guys off to the side, the little minions over here who are the associates to the Pharaoh, they're saying, how does this guy have the, 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 the chutzpah to be able to talk to the, the king like that? I mean, what is he thinking? He was just in prison just a few minutes ago, and so he's oh, Pharaoh, you're in big trouble. Well, he says, I am. He says, Yeah, you're going to have seven years of plenty. That's good. But this, is, and then you're going to have seven years of famine, and it's going to be good. Matter of fact, it's going to be so bad they're going to forget the seven years of plenty. It's going to be horrible and mad, but God is doubling down. He's even saying this is this is going to happen. And then he says, Well, what am I going to do? And he says, Well, I've got a plan. And this is, I love this part of the story because Joseph, it shows his, it, once again, it shows his chutzpah. It shows his audacity. It shows his boldness. It shows his courage. I mean, it's just right off the top of his head. He says, this is what you need to do. You need a commissioner of agriculture. I do? Yes, you need a commissioner of agriculture. You need someone who can be able to take all the grain to be able to store it for this during the seven years. And then, listen, during the famine, then you can be able to pull from that. And by the way, people come from all around to be able to come and buy it from you. If you use your, play your cards right, you are going to be like the golden goose. This is going to be amazing. If, if you just, well, maybe if you just do what I, well, I'm, what I'm saying. Um... And so Joseph, I mean, so then all of a sudden, um, I love this part of the story. Pharaoh says, I like that idea. Well, you do. Well, good. And then he goes on and says, you know, um, he says, so Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man, one, this man, one in whom the spirit of God is with? You know what I love about this Friday? Once again, this is great. Classic Joseph. So in this part of the story, um, we have to ask ourselves, I mean, Joseph continues to draw his faith and he continues to draw his strength and he continues to point to his relationship with God in the story. Can't we do the same? Even when we have been knocked down? So what we find here, not once, not twice, three times, four different times in this part of the story, he continues to refer to God in this part of the story. It's like... God, 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 God. It's almost like that commercial. Have you seen TurboTax commercial? Free, 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 free. It's obnoxious, but it gets your attention, right? Okay, so in this story, we have Joseph continue once again to point Pharaoh to God. God, 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 God. God. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And there, there has to be something it's like doing what you, it's like Bozo, you know he, he gets knocked down, he pops back up, he gets knocked down. And so what is the answer to all this? There is something about him or something within him that kept him on his feet. And for Joseph, it was his relationship with God. Don't miss the detail. I love this Mato. He says, "You know, I count one broken promise, at least two betrayals, several bursts of hatred, two abductions, more than one attempt of at seduction, 10 jealous brothers, and one case of poor parenting, abuse. Unjust I'm imprisonment, years of bad prison food, mix it all together and let it sit for 13 years. And what do you get? The grandest bounce back and the Bible. Jacob's forgotten boy became the second most powerful man in the world's most powerful country. The path to the palace was, wasn't quick. It wasn't painless. But wouldn't you say that God took this mess and made it into something good? Now, where'd he get that? Where'd Lakato get that? I'll tell you exactly where he got it. He got it from these words from the Apostle Paul, and we know that all things and God works for the good of those who love him who have called according to his purposes. The kid who said this, he says, God promises to render beauty out of all things and not each thing. So here's the question is, you know, we use this phrase and I'll sum this up with you. We have used this phrase over and over again. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Can you say it with me? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Haven't we all said that at some point in life? I mean, we all have heard that phrase. Here's the question. You ready? Do we really believe it? Now, here's just a thought. Notice that here, and I thought this was a very profound, and that was actually an excellent point in the book. He says, you know, is God good only when the outcome is good? Now, that's a really good question, and that is one of those things that we all have to do our own search, soul search in our life, Right? Is God only good when good things happen? When, you know, my 40K looks good and I'm feeling good and my family's good and my grandchildren are good. And I'm feeling good. I mean, you know, this pandemic is going to get over and it's all good, you know? That's the question that we all have to live in our life. I mean, I mean, so I pledge to be good, a good person. and in, re- in return, I will I expect this from God, that he will once again save my children, uh, heal my husband, give, my, give me job security, fill my bank account, right? And so we... All, once again, look at this story. I, I, Lakedo did mention this, and I thought it was a pretty powerful part of the story. He says, you know, his, grand, his daughter, when she was little, bitty, had fallen into a pool, and one of the little neighborhood kids came over and says, hey, Jenna's in the pool. And they ran out to the pool, and they got Jenna out, and she was coughing up uh, water, and they did the CPR thing, and they recessed her, and she's only like three or four years old, and they were at a friend's house, and on their way home, drive driving, and he says, you know, God is so good. And then he asked the question, but is God good only when the outcome is good? Wow. And so what we find here in the scriptures is that, once again, the promise that we find in the word of God is that God can take even all things and still work them for the good. I love this. He uses his analogy real quick. He talks about coffee. He says, "Listen, are, are the, is the bag that holds the coffee beans just good, or are, are the coffee beans good? Yes. Well, okay. Well, are 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 is the hot water that you boil the coffee beans in when it's all ground up? It, well, yeah, they're good. Is, is the creamer good? Yes. Is the sugar good? Yes. Is it when you put it all together? But individually, they're not really all that good. I mean, raw coffee beans are not really all that taste that great. But if you if you heat them and you grind them up and you put the sugar in it and the cream in it and then you take it and put it all together and all of a sudden you got something that's actually really good. And then he goes on and says, you know what? When you think about it, we we as Christians, we must let we must let God define good because see, and our definition a de- definition of good usually has to do with health. I want to be healthy, uh, or I want a great lifestyle. I want to be comfortable, food, clothing, a warm bed, and I want to be recognized. I want good relationships. So that's our idea of good. But then you look at God's definition of good. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! We got to look at God's definition of good when it comes to Jesus Christ. The good life consisted of struggles, storms, defeat, but God worked it all together for the greatest good and his glory of salvation. He took all the ingredients, the good and the bad and the ugly, and he brought forth something good, and it's called salvation for all the world. Can I be on that? This is the truth of good news of Jesus Christ. This is not health, wealth, prosperity. God said, Jesus Christ said, listen, you're going to have troubles But he also says, bigger picture, folks, bigger than Roman Empire, bigger than a pandemic, bigger than all this. I have come in order to give you salvation because you have got sin in your life that's stinking to high heaven. And I've come to redeem you. I've come to love you. I've come to be able to offer you grace and mercy and hope and love and peace. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the good news for the word today. And here's the beautiful thing. You ready for this? This sermon's come full circle. When I was a kid, I got a bouncer out back, bo- Bozo. I knocked him down. He came popping back up. He had an anchor in the bottom, right? About three pounds of sand. What anchored Joseph? The truth of the living God. What holds us together? What anchors us is the truth of the living God. And here's the beautiful thing when we think about and recall our baptisms, you ready for this? Death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Death and we're resurrected in Jesus Christ. And Paul says we have victory in him.